Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Going Rogue Gaming Podcast, a podcast about roguelike games and roguelike adjacent uh, ideas and themes. Uh, today, we're talking about uh, a, a, another heavy hitter in our library. We have uh, a classic FTL, Faster Than Light, developed oh, and published. I thought it was Fruit of the Loom. I wore my Fruit of the Loom underwear. No, no, that's the that's the Fruit of the Loom podcast. That's fair. Also, get get used to this because I interrupt a lot. So that's that's kind of my uh, that's kind of my deal. Scott knows this. Yes. And uh, you were you were telling us about this game before I immediately uh, off tracked us by talking about underwear. So. Yes, exactly. Um, well, yes. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the FTL episode. Uh, I am your. Federation Starship Captain Scott Berger, and I'm joined with my rogues gallery of uh, podcast co-hosts. I'm a mantis teleporting upon your ship, Colin. <laughs> uh, I'm Will, just straight up Will, <laughs> boring Will here. Um, and, yeah. Oh, do you want to introduce me, Scott? I don't know. Yeah, don't we're, even... we're, we have our first guest episode. Yay! 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 Uh, we're joined by our very special friend, uh, Woody Siskowski, uh, who I have I have terrorized his podcast long enough. I thought he, it was a good time for him to return the favor for this episode. Sure. Except usually when you're on our podcast, you like you struggle to get in a word edgewise. And so now <laughs> I'm going to just take over. I'm just going to commandeer your podcast. I'm going to beam in on my teleporter and there slaughter you your crew and, and collect your scrap. <laughs> oh, that's the first trap. Yeah. I'm all Mantis Cruise. I am going Ooh. to eat you alive when you teleport in. Oh no! And then I'll take your ship for scrap. I'm I'm excited to feel the love. Feel the love here on the FTL podcast. Yes, that's, that's what it stands for, right? Feel the love. Fire, fire the lasers. We're gonna come oh, up yeah. with a lot of uh, other other acronyms for what it could possibly stand for. It was it was slow. It was a slow day at work, so I was I was taking notes. <laughs> I was I was making good use of your public funds. Uh huh. Excellent. Um, yeah, so so this is an oldie but a goodie. This is a, a 2012 uh, roguelike game that you can find on Windows, Mac. I, ironically enough, a, as like a browser game, which I thought was interesting. That, I mean, uh, that doesn't surprise me. That's true. Yeah, it is. It is a pretty lightweight. Um, wouldn't really call it simple, but you know, uh, low complexity enough game that you could run in a browser and I mean, iOS. So. It, it's a game that can be controlled exclusively via mouse. That's not the ideal way to control it, but like every functionality you need can be accessed via clicking. Yes. I, I do actually, did any of you guys, I imagine that none of you guys played it on iOS. No, no but uh, how close does a Steam Deck come to an iOS? Or like uh, an, an, it, I tried to play it on my Steam Deck and it does not work very well. The screen is just too small like the level of precision to like click on a door to open or close it is not very good um and like the putting a screen protector on a steam deck makes the touchpad not very accurate mm. um so i don't it, it, it's fine i don't usually play my steam deck with like the touchpad format but i kind of could see it being a pretty fun way to play it on ios especially if it's configured for ios yeah and the screen is a little bit bigger, so yeah. you don't have to have quite the same level of touch precision. Well, yeah, and it's like it's an iOS port of the game. It's not just like a Steam Deck where you're oh, playing the yeah, PC version sense. on right, a right. way smaller screen. It's not fully optimized for that. Yeah. Yeah, there were numerous times where I was like frantically trying to click a door, click, click the door, click the door, stop the fire from spreading, and then just like 
it you know it takes like five or six clicks but i'm actually i was i was kind of surprised at how well it played on there but um but anyway ftl faster than light welcome uh this is a one of the most popular games in the roguelike category coming in at a hot number 19 with 42,000 total reviews unsurprisingly the 99th percentile um woody is our guest of honor for this week uh what would you say is a one sentence description of what someone does in FTL? Um, it's a it's a Captain Kirk simulator. <laughs> it's um, it, it it's a space combat game where instead of like being the pilot or the gunner, which is what you usually are in space combat games, you are just the person who tells people what to do. You just shout orders from the bridge. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this you game send does people out on transporters. Yeah, <laughs> this game does feel very unique compared to a everything else around that was being released at the time. But even games nowadays, like you don't really yeah. see a game like this these days, where you're controlling multiple people running around, specifically like a ship, and having to you know deal with the dangers and deadly encounters with other ships. Uh, is it fair to call this a real-time strategy game? No, absolutely not. A near real-time strategy game? I mean, it, like, is RimWorld a real-time strategy? I mean, like, any game where you can just pause it, I don't yeah, think you can real, the... call that a, a real-time <laughs> right. strategy. I mean, the real problem fair. is that real-time strategy game is just a terrible name for that genre of game. Like, StarCraft is a real-time tactics game, and everything else is... Like, strategy involves larger things going on uh but i don't know fdl i feel like you need to have a larger like economy you're not you're not building an engine in ftl the engine mm -hmm. comes on your ship and you're buying it eventually but i uh, mean I, I i kind of i think that it's fair i would i would take the other side i think it's fair to call the combat in this game real-time strategy like I, I agree with will it's a little weird with your ability to pause it at will but since it's only a one-player game like that still works because you are essentially like part of a real-time strategy game is adapting on the fly to what your opponent is doing and that's basically what the combat in ftl is all about because you'll never have enough resources to do everything and so you kind of have to divert one resource like if your enemy has missiles you're like all right i gotta put more into the engines to dodge i think that yeah. the structure around that combat honestly reminds me more of like a uh, a board game mm. i feel like that's sort of um the more i i was reading uh the he the heavily sourced um and i'm sure very accurate wikipedia page for this game <laughs> and um the designers listed inspiration as the Battlestar galactica board game uh, which oh, is is very much sense. like built upon these you know I mean, traced all the way back to like Dungeons and Dragons, where it's like you encounter this kind of enemy, you encounter this kind of event, make a skill check based on, you know, either some equipment you have or someone in your crew and encounter some random circumstance. And it's just like you're just kind of going from encounter to encounter like that, which is very much sort of a board game format. But then the combat is very much its own unique thing. It, which does make up the majority of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I know that like RimWorld came after and it is a pretty different kind of game, but the 
combat and FTL to me feels like a more condensed version of something like that, where you have a very small number of permanent uh, pawns to move around. Uh, and like losing even one of them is a devastating blow. I think that's the biggest difference for me between something like RimWorld or FTL and an RTS. An RTS, like you mm -hmm. lose a Marine in StarCraft and you're like, <laughs> good, he got that Zergling though. Yeah. This you're like, no, they killed Bill. <laughs> I was my only pilot. Bill. Fuck. I forgot yeah. how hard this game was because I, I this game I, is I, brutal. I yeah. This, I would. I haven't played this game in a long time. I reinstalled it on Steam on my new computer, and I have 80 hours in this game, which is a lot of time. Uh -huh. um, but like, I still remember totally how to play it. But I'm like, God, I can't believe I put 80 hours in this game. And I looked at my stats. I'd beaten this game in 80 hours, I think five times, like three three on easy and two on normal. And yeah. I looked up like the Steam. <laughs> Weirdly, like my Steam achievements had not synced. So when huh. like I, I think they might have added achievements later after I had already put 80 hours into the game. And so when I reinstalled it and booted it on my computer, I got like 30 achievements at the same time. <laughs> so if you look at my Steam history, it's like, wow, at 4.34 p.m., like Woody accomplished all this stuff in FTL. <laughs> it was a very efficient uh, one-minute gaming session. Totally legit, but, uh, totally legit. But like, Wait, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just, I'm curious. So you, you said 80, uh, 80 hours and, yeah. uh, and what, where, where did the rest of you guys land for this game? For me, uh, like I had, I think I had bought this game ages and ages ago because it was like, this was probably one of my, my first ever roguelike games that I bought on steam, like way, way, way back when everyone's like, Oh yeah, it's super good. You gotta try it. And then like, it was so, so different than anything else that I played at the time that I, I like kind of poked around. I got like annihilated after like two seconds. Like, yeah, I'll come back <laughs> to this later. And then, you know, played something else for a little bit. But for for the show here, I was like, okay, it's it's on the list. We're gonna dust it off. And I put more time into it. And also coming to this after playing a lot of um, Into the Breach, the other game that uh, Subset Games yeah. had had developed that game years also later. Rules. Yeah. Yes. Um, like that helped to really kind of gel the the combat mechanics like ha like balancing out energy systems and and like powering up weapons and abilities and things like that it, it made a lot more sense this time around sure. so this time around i think i i've only beaten i've only beaten it on easy twice after 40 hours okay uh each time feeling like an absolute like herculean like effort where i'm just like sweaty and exhausted and just like on the floor and about to pass out at yeah the well i mean like this game is long like one playthrough of this i usually think of yeah. most of the roguelikes i play like a spelunky or the enter the gungeon is like you can make a run in probably if you're going leisurely like 40 minutes max <laughs> um whereas here like you could probably spend an hour and a half mm -hmm. at, at, at least to make it through right. and like i always have trouble in roguelikes um stopping mid-play because it's like you yeah. lose track of kind of the build that you were going for for Dude, your shit. You get out of that flow and then yep. you're just like, you come back and I, I feel like if you ever pause, you come back and you die so fast. Yep. You're like, oh <laughs> exactly. no, I forgot that I need to have it in this exact arrangement. And like um, this game is so kind of unforgiving. It's like, yeah, you were saying, Colin, like you lose one crew member and you're like, shit, like 
I I was I was playing the ship last night, staying up late and like just annihilating people with my halberd beam, like killing. I had like this thing that charges up your weapons like between encounters. So I would start with my weapons fully charged and I would just blast their shield and then destroy them with like one beam shot. And I'm like, oh, this way is overpowered. Easy. And weapon pre, pre <laughs> weapons pre igniter. Oh my yeah. god! You oh, just, it's like so that's good. an automatic win. Right. Well, that's how I was feeling, and then like I accidentally moved one of my Zoltan guys who like gives energy to the spot <laughs> out of the weapon. Out of the <laughs> we like I just I'm like oh I got to go repair that other room, so I moved him out of the weapons bay, and then my beam turned off. And then I just got like blasted by the rebel ship, and like well I'm like well now I'm fucked, and it's really <laughs> hard to sort of once you make one mistake in this game to kind of right the ship and so mm -hmm. it's this brutal combination of this hour and a half playthrough that requires you to sort of be focused and make good decisions the entire way through um and uh, yeah i was what one more like i was looking at my achievements and you know how steam shows the rarity of um, mm -hmm. an achievement like beat the game on normal that's yes. like an eight percent achievement, which is crazy because I just beat like Elden Ring a month ago and like the like famously hard game Elden Ring and like the achievement of like beat Elden Ring is like 30 <laughs> percent. And I have no idea how Steam calculates those achievements if it's mm -hmm. based on like how many people have bought the game versus unlock it or if it's based on a certain amount of playtime. But it's just pretty wild to me that the goal of this game to beat it on normal is a less than 10% completion rate. And what's yeah. crazy is that, uh, yeah, so like easy, super low, normal, even lower. Like I was trying to figure out like, has anyone beaten this game on hard according to the Steam Achievement? There's no Steam Achievement, there's no Steam Achievement oh. for beating it on hard. <laughs> which I don't know if that's like, just trying to to do the players a favor of just like- Yeah, don't I feel like that is, that is very merciful of them. <laughs> Will, did you beat it on hard? Uh, no, I beat it on normal, and like that, yeah, like, I, put, I, I put 62 hours into the game, and I was very surprised at like 20 hours in is when I got my first win with like the very first starter thing. I I kind of had this mindset of I wanted to like play the first ship until I beat it on normal, play yeah. the second, yeah. but then I realized you just gotta find whatever the best ship is and really go with that. But even so, like I didn't beat it again on normal after that, and I refused yeah. to go down to easy. And so, uh, oh, you uh, you definitely yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, we were we were uh, talking about how much it hurts to lose crew. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I got that one achievement. And I was looking through, I was like, yeah. It, uh, trustworthy autopilot uh, is defeat an enemy ship with all of your crew aboard it. Nice. <laughs> and I, just, I remember it, that run ending and I had like four guys on their ship, my entire crew on their ship teleporting across. And like one of my lasers went off and I forgot to stop it and it killed the ship. And I was like, well, there's my run. It was a really good run too, and I just like I killed all my people on accident. And... What's great is when the oh. when actually you're all over there, and then they're powering up their drive, and you can't stop it, and then they beam off, and then you mm -hmm. lose like that. Oh that's no! Also good, yeah. <laughs> um, Scott, I I don't know how much um when you do this show you actually get into like the fundamental gameplay of how this game works. Yeah, um, I think like your your call out about like Battlestar Galactica or um like starship captain battles is super apt so like the so we've talked a lot about like 
our experiences with the game, but the game itself, like if you have never heard of FTL before, uh, you start off by by picking a ship. You come to your your well, like let's take a step back. Your call to action, your story here is that you are part of the Galactic Federation. You have some plans that are crucial to the survival of the said Federation, and you, the lowly messenger ship, has to run across all these uh, warp jump points through space to get to the Federation headquarters. It's kind and... of a reversal of tropes because like since Star Wars, it's always like, oh, the rebels are the good guys. The rebels <laughs> like have to defeat this galactic empire. And it's uh -huh. like, nope, you are the galactic empire. And when you get to that rebel ship at the end, you're like, shit, these rebels are well equipped. <laughs> they got a hell of a battleship going on. Uh-huh. I noticed um, that too. I like that. I like that they were rebels, like and that you were the Empire. Because it because it is such a, an old cliche to well, always be on the rebel team. They say yeah. Federation, and uh, I've been watching a lot of Deep Space Nine recently. So I was like, okay, yeah, like like I could see this being like a Star Trek Federation of good guys versus sure. like a Galactic There's like there's little tidbits sprinkled around of like you know the the federation of you know that controls the galaxy is kind of like you know losing power and waning and the rebels are trying to take it over and and that kind of stuff but it's very it's very loosely kind of sprinkled here and there but it's basically you know you start in a hangar where you're picking different different ships and how many ships do you start with for options in this game like i i, I, I just, just played with the one, one. The castle okay. or something or that. And this is this is something that is um in through the into the breach as well. Um, which is something that I think subsack substack games, is that what they're subset, called? Subset. Subset. That's something they do really, really well. Like, um, I'll, I'll let you get back to your point, you know, sort of the walkthrough of this, Scott. But like what I think is so great about this game is like this game could so easily fall into the category that I associate with you, Scott, of um, games, <laughs> games for nerds, something like oh. Cogmi Cogmind, where oh, it's oh, like, um, stay tuned, stay where tuned. it's like deliberately designed to kind of have this super obfuscated interface where you're like, I don't know what to do. There's too much sort of information and numbers and like, different kind of systems that i have to parse out mm -hmm. and here they give you like the simplest ship right at the start and it's not worse like i think in some ways the simpler the ship is in this game probably the better you're going to do with it um but they're like all right just start with this and they gradually as you play and unlock new achievements you unlock new ships which totally change the way the game is played yep um, and yeah, Into the Breach does that as well because you're constantly unlocking new mech squads. And I think it does a really good job of um, giving you something to accomplish even if you don't have... This game has no... What What is it called in Rogue Games where there's like... you like get Like a meta progression? Yeah, exactly. Like in Rogue Legacy where you like constantly can level up sort of the intrinsic abilities of whatever character you're playing as like this game has none of that like you don't unlock like anything for future playthroughs but mm. you just unlock more choices and ships to play as yeah and i like think unlocking yeah. new characters they're not better characters they're some of the later ships are much more like focused yes so like if you're like i really liked the mantis which are like the i don't know bug creature attack well, i mean they're, they're they're mantis they're mantis <laughs> mantai they I really are just yeah. really enjoyed i don't know if they're better 
I think they're probably not better in a lot of cases, but I really enjoyed the gameplay of beaming aboard people's ships yep. and their ship is optimized for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can absolutely do that same strategy on other ships. Mm-hmm. You just have to build in a little bit to get there. Well, that's uh, the thing that to me is so fantastic about this game is I think with very few exceptions, there's not anything that's better. Like, I think that this game succeeds because no matter what you build your ship to be, there's going to be other ships that counter it that you're going to be weaker against. And no matter what ships you encounter, you there'll be some way that you can encounter, you can beat that ship. Like, if you have a Mantis ship, you know, like, all right, I'm going to be very good at teleporting but like I might be weak like defensively, so I need to get some like drone to shoot down missiles or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. So you, you have to get that thing that lets you bypass the shields because if you come up that's a one ship yes. that you can't teleport onto. <laughs> you're just like, well, I have no weapons. So <laughs> exactly. And like this game is really cool in the sense that like there's a lot of situations, and this is something that I think I really struggle with that is really on me. Where I just, when I get into a fight with another ship, I want to destroy that ship. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not right. running away. Like, I'm blowing up the ship and getting it scrapped. Whereas there's a lot of situations where you look at another ship's weapon loadout and you're like, shit, I should not be fighting this ship because yeah. it is going to decimate me because it has a bunch of beam weapons and my shields suck. And what you have to do then is just like pump everything into your engine and shields and like get out of there. Because this yeah. game is so much like encourages practical thinking. Like it can be so easy in games to get like kind of bogged down in either like a morality system or like mm-hmm. petty revenge against like the this other ship that's fucked you up. But here you're just like, all right, like it's much better for me to not take six damage here because yeah. the, the reward I get is not going to be worth it. And it has a pretty it has a pretty strong death spiral. If you start getting some critical systems damage, your hull is damaged too much. Everything's on fire and your doors can't stop it from spreading. Yeah, it's it's not it's not meant to like so many other games, non-roguelike games mostly, they're like give you those safety nets so that if your ship gets messed up or your build is not good, they'll figure out a way to like bring you back to that winning path. Versus FTL is just like, well, if you if your ship gets hurt and now your guy dies, it's like, well, you just are probably going to lose. And it's how fast do you want to admit that? Yeah, that eight percent normal win rate kind of speaks a lot to that. I think it's just like the game. The game is really, really wants you to lose, and uh, they give you <laughs> yeah. a lot of opportunities to do it. Well, FTL I know, stands for fantastic time losing. <laughs> I I know that there were when I was like trying to grind out uh, certain ships or just victories in general i would just restart after that first sector if it was if it didn't go well yeah that's that's like, what i started I, I don't i could absolutely get to sector seven with this ship and die there and i don't want to waste my time because i've already played it a lot and i want to i want to give myself the best chance of success and i you know i once you played enough times you're like this isn't a very good ship i got hit a lot i spent a lot of money like repairing your ship which is a complete waste of money i encountered a bunch of stations where they're like hey come buy gas fuel from us when you didn't have any money and then (laughs) you're like oh i just wasted all of these jumps yeah 
Yeah, there's lots of this. This game, I think, has a lot of interesting uh, decisions to make along your run. Where the first few times that you play it, so I'll I'll give this game a pat on the back for its tutorial. Uh, any game that has like a, a good good but not too overbearing tutorial to kind of just like get your feet wet and then get you out the door and get you going is good. And I think that's the place to start here, just so you understand. Like, okay, this is how. I use weapons to like hurt enemy ships and what are the effects of that and all that. But as you are trying to, so I think there's what, like eight, um, eight uh, worlds, quote unquote, sectors that you're effectively jumping through where each one of these sectors has, I think this is the first time that we see this in um, the, the roguelikes that have come out up to this point is this like choose your own adventure path. So you're starting and like there's a bunch of these different branching paths and now everyone has it like it's the principal component of slay the spire you see it in the description and everything oh yeah you're right um where you you have to choose like okay i'm from here i have to go to this other node and you can kind of see like oh this node connects to like five other nodes and will that like tell me if a enemy ship is nearby if there's a store nearby i'm running low on fuel but i need to go and fight a ship so i can collect scrap which is your money in this and then i can upgrade systems or weapons like what what do i need to do and i feel like this is a game that um as you're progressing through this run this is this is a roguelike where you can't really um go in a run with a mindset of like okay this is the build that i'm going to do you have to wait for the build to happen to you yeah there's not there are meaningful choices but they're not super they don't happen super often. They don't happen often enough that you can make a choice not to make a choice. Like you need to, you need to make that choice quickly because it's you're like, okay, am I gonna do missiles or not? And if you make the not choice enough times, you just have nothing. Um, <laughs> and that is an easy thing to 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 do. Mm-hmm. But as you're going through and you're like, okay, I have like this really good ship with like a lot of like beam weapons or something on it. And you're like, yeah, I don't really actually need all these missiles. Like there are encounters where you can say like, oh, like, yeah, I'd love to sell off these missiles for more fuel or for, you know, more currency or something like that. And then using that to like build back into your workflow of, okay, now I have more money to do, to do uh, like get this really crucial uh, system that, I mean, if you if you played the final boss enough times, you're like, okay, I absolutely need this if my goal is to win this game this time. That's one thing that I I mean, in in my more recent playthroughs of this, um, I didn't even get to the final boss because just getting to the final boss is quite a feat in of itself, and that's something that I remember being a little cranky with. I feel like the final boss of this game can be so hard and has some sort of like just outrageous abilities to um, counter what you're doing mm-hmm. that you kind of have to adapt a couple borderline cheesy strategies to be yeah. able to fight him. Like I, I do sometimes feel like I can only get through this game by sort of like spamming cloak or something like that. It's I, like my, yeah. my biggest criticism with, with the game and with the final boss itself is that the fight feels different than the rest of the game. That's a good. That's so, a good way to phrase it. Four yeah. shields is pretty insane. That that's the game changer, I think, from my point of view, because everything else up to that, you, you're it's much more manageable. Yeah, like I've 
more than once got to the last boss and not done a single point of damage to it because I just don't have the like damage per second equivalent. I just mm -hmm. can't burst my way through. And it's not that my ship can't put out a lot of damage. It's like, oh, this puts out a lot of damage over a long period of time, but right. you need that like all of your damage happens at exactly one time. So you can burst your way down through the shields and then hit their shields and then cascade them down. Mm -hmm. There's a few, there's a few strategies against the final boss that just straight up don't work. And right. I feel but, like that's and, kind of a bummer. And it's strategies that are sometimes can be extremely effective for the previous seven for and a half. Yeah, like all beam weapons. <laughs> like all beam weapons. If you can just get through their shield real quick, but like in this case, it's just like, well, you just can't. And so you cannot effectively do damage. Yes. Boarding, I think, I think boarding was pretty much as far as I could tell, like the really the only way to, or just have so many missiles and a banked up missiles that you can take out their shields completely. But other than yeah, those two strategies, the best strat. I don't know what you could possibly do. Um, and that's why, I mean, drones, I guess, but drones are just yeah. kind of like a, that was, know. that was how I beat the game the first time. And I think like my, my first victory, like, I feel like the, like winning in this game is something that you print out and frame and put on your <laughs> wall of like, Oh my God, I did it. Like, I can't believe it. And I was using the the NG ship, which is yes. just like a donut. Um, and so I think that was the first ship I won with, also. Yeah, and like for context for listeners, like most of the ships that you find in this game are like roughly the same size as your ship, maybe smaller sometimes. Um, and in my in my first victory run, I was going through and I had this uh, um, chance encounter in one of the, like the the rebel uh, homeworld uh, sectors where you go through and there's an event that you can come by of like, oh my God, you stumble upon the the uh, rebel flagship as the final boss. Uh, you stumble upon it in like a half completed state and mm. you you get like this preview fight of like, you know, it's it doesn't have all of its guns ready. It doesn't have all of its like super like crazy special weapons at the end of the game, but it gives you a good taste test of like what's to come. And I was like, okay, like, I was I like scraped by and was able to beat uh beat him at that time. I was just like spamming drones the whole time. I'm like, okay, this is this is what I'm up against for the final boss. This is something that my the weaknesses in my ship have been kind of exposed. I should go and fix X, Y, and Z to prep for it. Um, and when it came time, the the last sector that you get to like has this really ominous tone of like, you know, the rebel fleet is like they have closed in like the federation is on its last legs and the rebel flagship is, is back for revenge um and you see it when you bring up a little map of like it's going from here to here like normally you never see any of the ship's movements but like here you can see like it's coming right for you and i was able to set up camp like okay all of my stuff is ready to go rebel flagship comes in like okay i got you this time i was prepped from that one one encounter and like it was a tough fight and then I'm like, okay, hooray, I finally beat the boss. And then it warps away. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, and right, yeah, you have to beat it twice. You have to see its final form. You, you have to beat it three times. It's three times, yeah. yeah. It turns oh, into a boss rush mode at the I end. Haven't played, I haven't played it in a while. I played yeah. my 66 hours, and then I haven't played it in like two years, so. I and guess fortunate. Sorry. Uh, I guess fortunately, like each time that like you beat you beat you quote unquote beat the boss the first time and like chunks of it get like torn off. So like the second and third times, like they're it's not back at like full health per se. 
but the strategy still... the strategy changed every time like that's that's sort of the gimmick is it's like your ship has to be able to like deal with all types of attacks because it's like first it just sort of barrages you with missiles and then they like yeah and cloak and then they like send people on to your ship to fight fight you and you have to be able to repel borders and so it really does mean that like you can't this isn't really a game where you can have like a focused build you can sort of come up with one mostly op strat to sort of guide you through but you still need to be able to handle all of whatever else it would throw on you just just enough and this is it, a game you can't have a dump stat yeah exactly and that, you need that to be seems... well-rounded and then have one like really good thing that you can do well and that seems to be like the trend like between this and into the breach i feel like have a lot of very similar design philosophies where it feels like they're big and and i mean this is this is really high praise because i think this is the ideal like this is ideal game design is like everything you just kind of feel like you just squeak by like you feel like you just barely have enough to kind of get what you need and make resources and so your everything in this game is like a very slightly tricky decision it's like Mm -hmm. how much do i want to repair the hole versus spend some of that for fuel so i don't get stuck can i scrape by with four hull points (laughs) until i get that weapon and then repair Right, because like all for for how many combat sh- fights you get in here, like even the combat in this game is very satisfying. But like if it's too easy, it can get fairly boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that this game does a really incredible job of always feeling like you're cutting things close. Another thing that I really like about um, the design of this and again i feel like it's also true to into the breach and scott referenced slay the spire i think this is a thing that has become more common in game design and ftl isn't even the best example of it but it's like the game gives you a lot of like not perfect information but it gives you like a very reasonable amount of information and like oh i'm um, not disagree with you completely on that oh okay okay (laughs) Depending on how high level your sensors are, I guess, right? Right. Well, because, like, you can see, for example, you can see what um, enemy ships, like, have equipped on their ship before the fight even starts. You can see, like, all of their systems down there, and you can Mm -hmm. decide, all right, is this a fight I think I want to win, or is this one I need to, like, just get ready to run away from? Um, And, like... Into the Breach or Slay the Spire is very much like taking that to like the nth degree because it's like this is what the enemy is going to do on its next turn um, and like how do you want to respond for that and I think that's great um, and if you get enough powered up sensors in FTL like it'll tell you where their power is going mm-hmm. and like you can visually see weapons like lasers charging up on their ship um, I-, I think it is a good balance like obviously this game is still built upon a lot of sort of rng which can be frustrating um but i do feel like each time you encounter rng you are learning something and you're like all right how how how, now that i'm aware of what the consequence of the bad action is there (laughs) like how will i deal with that if it happens to me again well, he, well, so here's the thing about all this is that like 
And, and, I, and I think that like Slate Aspire is the perfect sort of like counterpoint to all this in that like in Slate Aspire, it's like, well, you know what cards are in your draw pile. And like, even though you don't know which cards you're going to draw, you have some sense about what's coming up and some sense of probabilities. Yep. When you're making decisions in the game, and so far we've only been really talking about the combat, There, every single node is an event and the event might be combat. I think it's combat like maybe 50% of the time. But other, yeah. otherwise it's just like a text-based adventure essentially. Right. And they give you some dialogue and they say, hey, like you've come across a ship and they're being attacked by spiders. Do you want to send a crew over to help them? And I'll tell you what, I'm sure everyone here has sent a crew over and lost it and been like, yep. fuck, I just lost a crew. And I, that was like my only person doing this role. That's because giant alien spiders are no joke. It yeah. tells right. you Sometimes you get a crewman. Right, but the, the point here is that you don't know what the outcome is and you don't even know the probability of a good oh, outcome. Right. So if I just knew, oh, if you take this chance, you're going to actually, you have a 50% chance of gaining or losing a crewman. I'd be like, oh, well, now I have, that's a good to know. Do you so think it's like a spire, the they would... do that. That would be that's actually an interesting insight. Like, do you think the game would be more or less fun if it just gave you in parentheses like what like your risk versus reward of the decision? And that's exactly what they do in, in Slate Aspire. It's like, right, hey, you want to get this relic? That? There's a 50% chance of getting a curse. Oh, right. good. I, I'm glad that you told me that. And actually, for the entire playthrough after I realized this exists, I had the script like loaded up on a page <laughs> and I would just type in the, the beginning of the prompt and be like, okay, now I know there's a one third chance of this that, and the other. And that's that like smart. made the game way more fun for me because otherwise it's just yeah, frustrating. that Will does it like that more. <laughs> It's yeah, like a, no, otherwise you're it's... taking a, a Bayesian approach. You're just going into every encounter and being like, okay, I've encountered this event one time and out of the hundreds of events you might not encounter again. And this sure. is my one outcome. And so you don't really know like how, what is, are there three outcomes? Are there five? It's just frustrating and stupid. And I there think was... the games have learned from this. Yeah, I think one... that, that's fair. There was one time I was uh, in the in the rock home world. So one thing I, I love about this game is like all the alien races are like super weird. Like any game that has like really strange and different like alien designs, I'm a big fan of. Um, so we've we've talked about the mantis. There are there are rock guys who are super slow and beefy and who are like basically immune to fire. Uh, there are uh, NG guys who I think are just like made out of nano nanoparticles? Question mark. Um, they're repair fast. That's all I know. Yeah, they they repair fast. They you know you have your multi-purpose humans who are kind of good at everything. Uh, there's there's um. The game, I think, only comes in the advanced edition nowadays. But yeah, there's like yeah. a you know a button that you can toggle. It's like you know advanced edition extra stuff, and there's some more alien races in there that like suck up oxygen out of the room that they're in, yeah. which is kind of cool. That you can like you can use them as like a boarding crew to like get in and like suck oxygen out yeah. and fight. They're hard. They're hard to get a, a crew full of them. But what if you can? Then you're uh -huh. just like. I win. You can't board me anymore. Yeah, but to Will's <laughs> point, like I was, I was in the Rock Homeworld, and I was coming across an event that was like very clearly, like you know, oh, like this, you know, super ship is taunting you, and it's flying off to this other direction. You should go and chase it. You know, like there's some event happening. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go chase him. Like something's up here. Um, and I was, you know, fighting him, and the the uh, this was the event for unlocking the Rock ship. So there are there are many events in this game that you can encounter, like the uh, the Mantis ship. Uh, you can encounter like a crystal ship or like the Zoltan cruiser. Um, and if you complete those events in a certain way, then you can unlock them. Otherwise, if you just defeat the final boss using you know whatever ship is in the little progression system that you see in the hangar, that'll automatically unlock the next one, which is I think a fine method of doing so. Yeah. But I was in the rock home world, like chasing this, uh, this, you know, super rock cruiser. And it was coming down to what I thought was like the final battle. I'm like, okay, I'm going to blow this thing up and unlock it. And like, I will have, you know, unlocked the, 
one of the last ships that I could get, which was the wrong move. What you're supposed to do is mm. like fight this ship cruiser like close to the star, but just like continuously keep fighting them. The game never tells you that. It's yeah. just like, you know, hey, like here's an event happening. And like I, I blew him up and I was like, yay, wait, no. Like I, I didn't actually want to kill him. I do feel like that is a, an occasionally unhealthy trend that we see in in games is um, the games that seem designed for you to play with the wiki open. That mm-hmm, always yeah. bugs me. And like games like, you know, the Soulsborne games, like people kind Finding of use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> talked about here like, before part of like oh that's just part of the design you just have that open and i'm like i want all that information in game and so yeah i i agree that like i think that the events that they have for unlocking things are cool and creative and interesting but like i think that they need to give you more information on what that is yeah i feel like there's definitely i i feel i have two two sides on this um one is this is a star trek simulator and I, you don't know what, you know, if you're going into that room full of spiders, like you don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. Like knowing exactly the, the outcomes, knowing exactly what the possibilities are, takes away from that part of the game, um, which it, it would be, the, but the problem is really it's two games in one. There's the, the Star Trek running around simulator and there's the like deep crunchy a uh, roguelike game that requires some fairly intense optimization yeah. to, to beat it. If it were not such a hard game, if it were easier to win, yeah. then it wouldn't feel so bad to not know these outcomes. Because basically it's like, oh, you lose this crew member? It's like, well, then you start over. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you're know you in the second sector and you only have, you've, you've lost 25% of your crew and uh, you know you might as well you, you, you probably aren't going to finish the run. So I, I, I think that like this game just kind of runs contrary to a lot of like common game, like when you usually play games and you're like, there's a mining colony being attacked by giant spiders. Do you want to rescue them? At least for me, like I naturally assume like, yeah, I'm the hero. I'm going to send someone and go rescue them. Or like when an enemy asks for mercy, like a slave trader asks for mercy i'm gonna be like no fuck you like fuck you slave (laughs) traders but like here there's a lot of situations where you just have to be like no i'm just gonna leave all these pieces people to die to enemy spiders because it's far more it's far worse for me to lose a crew member here than to potentially gain scrap and like that trade-off is not always going to be the case because you might have like a whole bunch of crew members um but and and then at the same time like yeah this game really does ask you to like abandon morality in a lot of situations because there's no like end game like reward of like hey you rescued everyone who was in trouble so like here's a bunch of bonus scrap or a different ending like this game does not care whether or not like you just gotta beat the boss yeah Um, whether or not you bought bought stuff from the slavers or took bribes from pirates it's just like whatever is going to benefit my build at the moment what do i need now right i I gotta like i want to address like colin's point about it being like somewhat of a star trek simulator and for these decisions in particular because (laughs) if we're going to try and say it's like star trek 
what's going to happen is that he's going to get, you know, someone's going to come on screen, say that there's spiders down below. Do you want to help out? He's going to turn to data. He's going to turn to, to Troy <laughs> and he's going to get more information. He's going to say, yeah. Hey data, what's the likelihood of us succeeding here? And he's going to, is it going to be like, so it, the one line of text is what's hardly what you would expect from a cruise information. And, and yeah, exactly. Situation. But also think, like as a Star Trek simulator, like with that, you, even if they, data says they have a low chance of success, they're still going to go do it. That's true. They're, they're they're gonna gonna different, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, they are the hero. And like here, yeah. I mean, in some ways, this is kind of like the thing, yeah. same thing I struggle with at poker. Like with poker, there's a lot of situations where it's, you just have to choose not to play, even though it's right. always feels more fun to like take the risk and be like, what's going to happen? I want to go in on this hand. I want to see if I can beat the ship here. You just have to sort of take a breath and be like, I'm not ready to fight this ship. It is not going to benefit me to destroy it. And I am just going to pump energy into uh, my engines and, sh you know, escape as soon as I can. Or you do the, the, the opposite part of poker, which is objectively, this was the right decision and you lost anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I had pocket aces, but the other guy had pocket kings and it was a full house for him. So right. there you go. Like you can't begrudge yourself that too much. Sometimes you just get screwed. And I mean that's probably true for the philosophy of like roguelikes in general. Is yeah, it, you know, like I said, I put eighty hours in this game. I beat it like once, seem seemingly once every ten hours is about the about the rate. Um, but I still like I still love this game and I have a great time playing it. Whether I die against the Federation ship or the Rebel ship or whether i die in the second sector like it's still like interesting yeah. things happen and the way all of the systems interact especially with the advanced edition which um yeah like scott said is sort of inevitable now like if you're playing this game in 2022 you're playing mm -hmm. the advanced edition but adds like hacking and mind control and there's just a lot of very cool ways that the systems interact I will say the the advanced edition stuff is is good and caught me completely off card for the boss fight where I had this super like totally overpowered uh, Zoltan cruiser that was going through and just shredding all of the enemies that I came across and then like we kind of talked about with the difficulty spike at the end the final boss just so so far and above the the level that my ship was at in terms of like what my build was set to accomplish that I had to get out like a pen and paper and write down like the timings for all the weapons to like make sure they they happened just at the right time because the the uh, rebel flagship with the enhanced content will have uh, will have hacking will have mind control subsystems and that little hacking drone that flies off and it, like latches onto the outside of your ship all of a sudden you can't shoot your weapons like thirty percent of the time. I was you reading tips and they said that if the flagship hacks into your weapons, just fly away and then come fight it again and hope that it hacks into a different system. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. it feels so weird. I, yeah. like, the the idea that you can run away from the final boss is like, I mean, I'm sure that that button is up at the top of the screen, but like my eyes would never- No. Because you, you're not, that's just not how video games You're like, are. this is the end of the game. Where would I run to? Like, right, but yeah. yeah, it's like, oh well, yeah, but you got you rolled bad RNG there, and you come back and and get better next time. Oh, it's very strange. So I do I do want to make one call out that uh, there is there's like a mega mod for FTL called FTL Multiverse, 
which I think I've, I've talked with Colin and Will about. Woody, have you heard of this at all? No, I, I don't mess around with mods all that much. Yeah. I'm curious um, about it. This, for, for Will's context, uh, I was playing around with this a, a little bit earlier today. I think this is probably, well, maybe not quite like the Slay the Spire Downfall equivalent, but effectively, like, this is a, it's a fan-made mod that is basically just FTL2. That all the stuff that, you know, if you're a big FTL head, this is just like so much more good stuff that like new backgrounds, like new interactions, new weapons, new, like crazy new alien races, all that good stuff. And it, you know, ties directly into, into uh, your game. So you need to have the game in order to, you know, download and play this, but in just like the 20 minutes I mean, that, that I was is the around. definition of a mod right well, yeah <laughs> like <laughs> but uh, i mean at a certain point you start getting to be like the mod is as big as the game mm-hmm. and feels like it could be played on its own i think sure. downfall you could play separately completely yeah. separately from slate really? player oh wow it's a different yeah it's a different icon it's a different uh i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong there i don't know but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm wondering like how much of the stuff that we've we've kind of talked about because I I don't think subset games are going to come back and make an FTL two. I don't think I don't think they need to. I think this this no. game already is pretty is a pretty complete package for for its flaws that I think have aged pretty well. Like for this being, gosh, like an 11 year old game up yeah. thereabouts, like it's aged pretty well. I think. Yeah. No, I had it's a great time coming of, back and playing it. It's got the same. It, the graphics and the music are. Ooh, the music is really good. Yeah. The music's good. The graphics are simple and effective. They don't really. It's in a style that's also ageless. Rim world stuff. Yeah, the, the the like little scenarios that you get into are. You know, generic sci-fi things, but they're they're interesting and well written for the most part. Um. There's not enough controls for the controls to have gotten bad over time as we get used to better things. So, and really, yeah, like, I mean, like Scott, like you said, like this is the be this is the inception of that kind of overworld node based strategy, and I think that that's, I mean, if that's the case, that's that's really I think the biggest innovation that this game has had. But maybe that's just that's just my impression. I would say is, that it, it's probably the thing that is most influential on other. Like no one else seems to have tried to make a game that much like FTL, but everyone has in, has taken that like node branching and then coming back together kind of style. But choose your own adventure now. now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that this game is the rare, I mean, the, that sweet combination of a game that is very influential um, in a lot of design choices, but like is still, even though this game's 11 years old, like I would wholeheartedly recommend going yeah. and playing this game because it's not like, I don't think that the better version of FTL has come out in 11 years. Right. I, it could know. come out today and be a successful game. Yes. And like, be like, yeah, this is a great game. You should play it. Not for nostalgia's sake, just because it's a good game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll name drop FTL Multiverse once more. Uh, just because I know that there's like, anytime that I'm like driving and I listen to a podcast and I hear someone say like the name of a thing and like, I'll forget it like 10 seconds later. And they'll be like, what multiverse. was that thing? Multiverse. And then like, multiverse. I have to like, yeah, multiverse, multiverse. Is uh, it available in Steam? The, um, the, no, like it, you have to get it separately. It's, uh, where is it? Yeah, you just have to like, it's it's on the subset games forum. Okay. On there, but like, it's it's official enough that like, 
yeah, you just, you download some stuff and run it. But um, I will say like uh, for how, you know, technically minded everyone here on, on the podcast is like, I was getting some mental fatigue, just trying to like download and like get all these zip and like, I had to like download a new version of Java and stuff. But there's um, one link on that page that's kind of hidden, which kind of bums me out, but it's like a, a direct a Google or yeah, like a Google Drive link that's just like a straight up executable. You download that, you just double that click feels on it. So and it, bad. It it, it feels it why feels can't bad. it just be in Steam? <laughs> I, I, everything that I've learned has said don't just open random executable files <laughs> in a Google Drive. All of a sudden, that hacking module is going to get embedded in your computer. Yeah. Scott's uh, multiverse mod <laughs> just how he's getting he's getting your. Uh, you know, he's going to run his roguelike simulators on your computer. Uh, <laughs> I got to power up the mind control uh, uh, part first. But, uh, but yeah, like hijack your computer to do data scraping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He used to yeah, run I mean, multiple instances of Dwarf Fortress on your computer. <laughs> yeah. Happy Dwarf Failure Fortress to log day, in. by the way. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, how come, oh, how come yeah. you guys aren't talking about Dwarf Fortress? I know. Well, well we would, but uh, that'd be a whole other podcast. Yeah. And, it's, uh, it's, it's on, it's on the, the stay tuned list for sure. Uh, I feel like, I'm I'm on the fence about having like a uh, six month lookout blackout window of like not of like making sure that like give games like six months to like mature and stabilize before making them a candidate to cover on the show, but I don't know it's it's tempting it's real tempting. I feel like we have to I play, mean, we have to play Dwarf Fortress, fine, but then we have to do the thing that no one that I know has ever done, which is actually play the weird adventure mode. That is a oh Scott lo- Scott loves the adventure mode. I've that never, was wait did you play it? Yeah, we covered it on on uh, the Ultra sixty four podcast for an episode. I, I oh. somehow tricked tricked them into well, you tricked us by giving us money to yes. make it clear <laughs> a powerful motivator. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I I mean, I guess I stand immediately and strongly corrected. Fifty percent of the people that I'm looking at on the screen right now have played it. Um, I played but... it too, actually. <laughs> great, great. Everyone I know has played it, but not me. Uh, but that is it. Like that's a roguelike. Also, in I, the I, most I, directly roguelike form, so we could play that. That would be fun. I'm sorry that I derailed the conversation to talk about a game I don't like <laughs> instead of a game that I actually very much don't like. like? Oh my! <laughs> See, the War Fortress is very much my example of a game for nerds, uh-huh. uh, yes. and that's where I think that that's what I like about FTL so much is it scratches that itch of feeling like you're a smart numbers guy. But in reality, you're just clicking little boxes and redirecting power in a way that's very intuitive. Fair enough. I think I think the new Steam version, <laughs> new IDE, like that, that really is going to make a lot. Uh, also, big I just here. assumed that that Steam version was a joke of them always <laughs> just saying that it was coming soon and that was uh-huh. just going to be like that forever. So when I actually saw it got a real release, my mind was kind of blown. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just like they. They're like we're we're old now. We need to have like a real steady source of guaranteed income. Like ah, uh, right. The final the final nail in that coffin. I woke up this morning and it felt like Christmas came early. I don't think I'd been this excited for like a day one release of a game since like the <laughs> PS2 era. <laughs> um, do we have any more to say about FTL? I feel like I've yeah. I think uh, I think we I think yeah. we've covered it pretty. Let's let's move. We gotta, on we gotta to rate our, it, right? Yeah, let's move on to, a... to, to rankings. So, what you know, everyone on this show's a, a, a data freak. So, you know, we're we're trying to to make sure that we're don't drag um... me down to your level. Come on. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'll go first. I think unsurprisingly, this game uh, 
I've I've been uh, co-opted by by Will to give games an objective number rating as well as like a like a point in time ranking as well. Woody, I know in your your guys' show, you know, you you've always had like, what rank would you give it right now? And I like I like that element, um, but I think like for me, like giving context of like, okay, where do I think this game kind of sits? It, um, and then like, where does it kind of sit against games that we've ranked so far? Uh, I'm gonna give this game a I'm gonna give FTL a nine point five, I think, out of ten on the Scott system. Uh, where I think everyone here has their own different rating systems. But for me, unsurprisingly, that'll be my new number one game ahead of Binding, the, Binding of Isaac. Um, I think like my my first impression with, with this game was kind of negative or just like I didn't get it. And then when I f- started playing more into the breach and getting that kind of like flow state and understanding like, yeah, you have to like balance these powered systems with what you actually like want to do ability wise. And then coming back to FTL and like FTL feels like it's it's almost um, like a more advanced or complicated version of that to some degree. I guess I haven't played the the Enter the Breach Advanced Edition yet, but we'll, we'll come. That's Wait, another is that stage. A thing? Yeah, they they like a few weeks ago. I think they just came out with a uh, with additional oh, content for it. Mind blown! <laughs> I gotta go, you guys. I gotta go yeah. right now. Let's finish this. But uh, but yeah, I think like. If, if you're remotely interested in Into the Breach or roguelike games in general, like if you have a, a like mild experience like with this game, like give it, give it some time to kind of like sit and mature and like see how the systems interact and play with each other and then open up the wiki on the other side of the window and just follow <laughs> that for all of your stuff. I think like being able to, yeah. to beat that rebel flagship at the end I feel like is just such a cathartic moment that if you can make it to that stage and get there, it'll be well worth it. Probably best to do it on easy. I'll, I'll say like, yeah, I, I know I'm I like really stressing trying to do it on normal, but I guess in hindsight, if I would have known the, the difficulty curve, easy would probably be the way I'd play the game. Well, and easy, easy allows you to learn like what will happen with the different events and to kind of like, there's so little room for like air and wasting scrap on normal um, that like easy is the way to like buy different systems and try them out and see how they work. Yeah, I didn't feel like I won often enough on easy for it to feel like a cheap victory. Right. Like I want to win a certain percent of time or at least feel 20%, like- I've- 20% is the target. Slay the Spire, the top players on Ascension 20 win 20% of the time. I think that's a nice, nice target. Okay, Mr. Slay the Spire. That's the, I, I can't stop. I mean, like, you're talking, to, I mean, I put more than hours in anyone. <laughs> I mean, that game rules. Um, what, what, what do you, where, where are you putting uh, FTL, Will, how you rank this one? Oh, well, um, I'm going to give it, it's, it's the best of the, the games we've played so far. So it's a number one out of in that terms of that ranking, but in terms of its raw value, I gave it a seven point five out of ten, which means on my I got a my own personal tracker. I've got one hundred sixty seven games in here. That puts it um, at uh, number actually it's at number one hundred. I really only play good games, and so I've got uh, ninety. Or I guess uh, excuse me, rank ninety nine. Um, so I've got ninety eight games that are better than it sitting in here, and uh, wow. I mean it's a it's a good game. Don't get me wrong, but there's just a lot of. Uh, Will do you know what your average on that on that spreadsheet is? 
uh, on, on, yeah. So that's why I said when uh, earlier we're chatting, like we're really filling out the bottom of this one because I don't tend to play like bad games. <laughs> but you uh, see, the, like, I feel like a 7.5 on the will scale might actually like not, yeah, not be too high. Average is yeah. 7.37. So, okay. So it's above average for will. It's, it's for slightly Gary. above average. Yeah. yeah. So it's worth playing. I can definitely recommend it. I might, I might give it an eight if I maybe with the multiverse or like, I don't know. It felt very, my problem is it felt very repetitive at the very end. And that first yeah. 15 seconds of every fight where you're just like, okay, everything's charging up. They're not boarding me. And now I just sit here and wait. Oh, yeah, and now I, we get to play. I do feel like the eight sectors may be a little much. Like it might feel a little better if it was six. Mm-hmm. And so like a full run through, you know, took an hour. Yeah. Um, Cause definitely kind of once you figure out what your ship is doing, you just kind of press on like uh so i was going to give it a score out of uh using the warp factor from star trek and then i looked up the the memory alpha wiki star trek wiki and it's like extraordinarily long and complicated i don't understand how warp factor <laughs> well, works well warp factor in star trek is like asymptotic to 10 right or like yeah, like, yeah go yeah, to warp so, 9 and then go to warp 9.999999 yeah apparently warp 10 is infinity speed um so mm-hmm. i'm going to i'm going to pivot to uh uh Just that it is one to ten well i'm going to say it's it's uh 0.9 light speed which is now that I'm thinking about the name of the game, that actually, I'm just going to go with a 9 out of 10. I'm going to just just walk that right back to a normal score. Uh, 9 out of 10. Uh, most, it's the game I like the most out of the ones we've played so far. Um, and I expect it to stay high on that rankings. Um, it's pretty high on my just regular games that I've played in the past rankings. Like, I, I can see the criticisms that Will has leveled against it but they did not impact my how much I got sucked into the game. And now even, I, I did not play this game in the last week. And even like thinking about it, the sum of the music has gotten stuck in my head. <laughs> like it's got, it, it, it has that like worm. It's just drilled into my head from playing it years ago. Uh, I think that's a mark of a pretty good game. Woody is our uh, special guest. This is by default uh, your number one game uh, yeah, on this podcast. Uh, but but where do you think this would fit in your uh, pantheon of roguelike games specifically that you that you've played? Like, would this be on like the upper end, the middle? Well, I mean, you sent me a list of you know some of the games that you were going to cover, and I sent you a list back of like these are the games I'm willing to be on. So anytime you hear me on this podcast, I probably like the game. Um, and so this is definitely in in my upper um, upper realm. This is different than most of the roguelikes I play. Usually I play roguelikes that are very sort of twitchy, like you Spelunky or your Gungeon or your Dead Cells, and you just kind of get physically better at playing the game. Whereas here, this is one of the few roguelikes I really like that's built mostly on mountain menus and has more sort of thoughtful strategic gameplay. Um, so I'm going to give this game uh, two breach missiles and a halberd beam. Um, mm. I'm just a real sucker for like clean game design where um, it feels like all of the elements are sort of working in unison and both you and the sort of the quote unquote enemies play by the same rules. I love that. Um, and I just think that between this and into the breach, like 
these guys are just total masters at having something that feels like a brilliantly designed board game, but has a level of complexity that would be, wouldn't really work in a board game. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think this game's great. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard, uh, hearty recommend for people who have not played it. And like I said, not just as like an interesting um, influencer on later roguelike games, but just cause it's like a great, super unique game. Nine out of ten would crush rebels again. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, well, for for our podcast, you can uh, send emails into grogpodzone at gmail.com. Uh, I I wound up uh, jumping on the uh, the abandoning abandoning Twitter train and spun up a a grogpod a mastodon instance. So is if that you... better? <laughs> I mean, so far so good. Because uh, okay. so you can find us uh, on grogpod at gamedev.place on Mastodon, okay. uh, where I've been, I've been lurking on it. I've been spying on it and seeing all the other like you know indie game devs who have moved over. And for like the like week and a half that I was on Twitter, like I think Mastodon for me feels like a safer space. Question sure. mark. I don't know. I'm I'm again very happy knock on wood that I never got into Twitter. So. Sure. Um, but website is grogpod.zone. You can find us there for all of our, our ranking. I'm also glad. I'm glad that you guys are called grogpod. I like that name a lot. It sticks in my head because I first, I remember that it was about, it was called growing rogue. So I searched for that and I got a bunch of like anti-government, like, um, like (laughs) far right libertarian stuff. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm glad Scott's podcast isn't buried under all this SEO. I mean, so, that was the original design of the podcast, but yeah, the SEO was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, was, I like Grog Pod. That's, uh, it sounds delicious. It's more fun to say. Yeah. That's all. That was my number one yeah. criteria. Um, Woody, what, uh, this this is your your platform to to spam all the stuff that you've got going on. So All so the stuff, away. which is actually one thing and which is a thing that's coming to an end. Um, my friend Steve and I, for the past six years, have been putting out... Uh, podcast we did um ultra 64 is the the first thing we did that's a very if you listen to that podcast you might hear some suspicious similarities to this particular podcast <laughs> tm 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 copyright tm 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 yeah patent pending patent pending um we we played all the games on the nintendo 64 and then uh lately we played all the games on the wii u and so each each episode is um a game or you know up to three or four games at a time and uh, the Wii U is actually coming to an end. Um, so we'll be finishing up after this six-year run or so. Um, so if you're ever curious what the best game on Nintendo 64 is or the best game on Wii U game is, or conversely, the 47th best game on each system, <laughs> we we have you covered. Um, that's called, yeah, the Ultra 64 or Wii Universe. Either of those will, will get you there. Transformers, Beast Wars, Transmetals. Exactly. We, we, know, we all know the answer to that one. Um, so but before we go, we have to, uh, I wish I hadn't packed away my dice, because uh, I would make dice roll sound, dice roll sound, uh, f- play a quick round of roguelike roulette, where we're going to try to figure, ooh, okay, Colin's got his dice dice going there, um, where from our, our candidates list, we'll randomly select three of them to pick, f- or and, and picking from that random selection of what do we want to cover next. So our random selection that we pulled out this time it are the three games, Sword of the Stars, The Pit, the 1980 version of Rogue, and Voidigo. And I had posted this list in, in our Discord earlier for us just to kind of like do some pre-reading and kind of assess it, but talk about it on the on, on air. 
which one of these do we have like a vote for unanimously of like, oh, we got to do this one. Uh, and I, I looked up a, a Let's Play of Sword of the Stars. And the first thing that popped up was uh, a, a, a guy saying, move it or lose it, ape. And that really seals the deal for me. Um, anytime we're on a weird space marine and the, the sergeant's yelling at me to uh, get into combat and uh, do my part, I'm, I'm on board for that. And I don't think that we're, I don't think we've, we've leveled up enough to play the OG Rogue yet. We need to play, we need to play the clones first and then go back to where it all began. Well, I was going to, I mean, I, this was, po you posted this last night, 9.30. I was, I, I gave was supposed you a, to have... a whopping 18 hours notice. Okay, I didn't realize we're making the decision today because I have not looked into any of these, but just on face value, I'd say, oh yeah, let's, let's go to the original. But like, um, I can't say, I don't know. I think I'm going to, uh, well, I'll, I'll defer uh, to, to our guests to throw in a vote as well. Uh, Woody, <laughs> I don't know if, of these of these three games, do you have one that stands out of like, yeah, you guys got to definitely play this one? Uh, I mean, the only game of those three that I've heard of is Rogue. Um, but I, I agree with Colin that maybe that's something you have to build up to. It either should have been your first episode or uh, <laughs> something that comes much later. I've been uh, uh, the final boss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the rebel, the rebel starship. I've been debating for because the, the Rogue that's released on Steam is like a DOS version of it which I think is kind of like the closest that you can get to like a stable, easily accessible version of it. But I've, I've had in mind to like try to see if I can see if someone has like a really old computer from like the early 80s and that like is mm. able to terminal into like a really old server from the 80s. Cause like the 1980 Rogue, you had to install on a server and then you had to S like effectively SSH into it. But uh, but like, yeah, tunnel, tunnel into the server to play the Rogue on something that wasn't your computer. What was the other game that you mentioned beside the Sword of the Stars? Um, so the the our random list for this time is Sword of the Stars, the Pit, the 1980 version of Rogue, or Voidigo. Voidigo, multiverse. And Woody, I think this one. Voidigo will... looks much more like something that Woody. Yeah, yeah Voidigo. Yeah. Lo well, yeah, but uh, I mean, right. I'm not planning to be on it, but I'm going to go check out Voidigo right now because this yeah. game looks good. Twitch Rogue shooting at stuff it's a very yeah. dungeon-y looking lots eight, of eight, lots eight, of uh eight big colors and stuff 16 going big on. graphics yeah uh, overwhelmingly positive good. is that, that that really works yeah. for me yeah, the steam god steam reviews are so useless <laughs> like, yeah. what, what do i do i want to overwhelmingly positive very positive like in what other world is like mostly positive like a, you a know that sentence. that game is a pile of garbage if it's mostly <laughs> positive. I mean, sixty-seven and, I, and then it goes and then it goes down to mixed and it starts being good again. Yeah, you know, it's just like, oh well, that's because a bunch of people review bombed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely good when you see like a, a new AAA game release that's like mostly negative. <laughs> All right, well, whatever you guys decide, I gotta play some new, some more into the breach, and I gotta add Boy to Go to my Steam wish list. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna what you guys should play <laughs> i think i'm going to make an executive decision and have us uh continue continue the this early series of of roguelikes with sword of the stars yes. next time uh i think colin kind of nailed it i played the the tutorial for that and it definitely has a kind of starship trooper z get in there ape you know you apes want to live forever kind of vibe to it uh and for will's benefit it has machine guns so i think it'll <laughs> it'll uh 
it'll speak well to that. But yeah, the, the rest of them we'll we'll keep in our back pocket to re-roll re for next time. And I see Voidigo is still actually technically in early access. It so is. And maybe. yeah, I think that like, and that's another thing with like some of these games is like they can, and I think Voidigo has been out for a while, like at least like a year and a half or so. Yeah. But yeah, like games that are sort of perpetually in early access, I guess you can almost lump a Dwarf Fortress into this to some degree. Not um, anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not technically Steam early access, but uh, but yeah, um, I think as long as a game seems like it's in a relatively mature enough state, we'll we'll consider it. But cool. Um, so it's going to be Sword of the Stars until it dies, or we find something better. <laughs> Sword of the Stars, the pit, uh, will be our episode for next time. Uh, we'll see you there with uh, all sorts of alien spiders, machine guns, and uh, and making sure to charge up our our ftl drives to get us there but, uh, but yeah thanks for thanks for joining us woody uh we'll we'll have you back on again for some more episodes and uh we'll see you guys next time maybe i'll be here for void to go oh yeah maybe <laughs> yeah it's been fun